And we've arrived at our last sermon in our Colossians series. At Central Baptist, we believe in expository preaching, which means that the point of the text is the point of the sermon. So when we hear the text preached, we are hearing the point that the author of the text is making. And that includes final greetings. So we believe in even, that even in some words, in these words that perhaps seem random, that the Lord is actually speaking to us and, and there is eternal truth to be gleaned from the word that is before us. So our text for today is Colossians 4, 7 through 18. And this is what the Lord says. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful ministry, minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read, it, read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that, they, that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write these greetings with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Have you ever longed to be a part of something greater than yourself? What was it? As a kid, I always wanted to be a professional soccer player. Now, that's normal for a Brazilian kid. But I also wanted to be a dinosaur, which is definitely greater than myself. Kids change their minds often, don't they? Often our, in, our, in, often our intents can be great, right? To do more good, to bring about justice to protect the oppressed. But our intent could also be wrong, can't they? For our own power, pleasure, prestige. Well, what if I told you there is something good that is greater than yourself and you can be a part of it? Actually, this is the greatest thing anyone can be a part of. Nothing is greater. It's the church. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 3, 21 concerning the church. 
to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The church is the only institution that is actually able to live for the glory of God. We're finishing our series on Colossians today, and I call this series The Supremacy and Centrality of Christ. And I want to say to you that Christ is made supreme, and Christ is made central most clearly today in the church. And you will only experience the benefits of the supremacy and the centrality of Christ if you are a part of the church. This message is, is intended to do two things. If you are a part of a church, of this church, you are to rejoice. If you are not a part of this church or a church, friends, I want to paint such a beautiful picture of the people of God that there should be no other idea in your mind but to say, I want to be a part of what God is doing. This message is also designed to tell you, if you don't believe in Christ, that, friends, there is a train that is going towards eternity. And that's your only way. That's the church. And the invitation to join that train is here before you today. It may not be available tomorrow. So I urge you to consider the church, the beloved of Christ, his bride, his body. So we're not going to go verse by verse as we normally go today. But we're going to look at this passage. We're going to look at every verse. But I'm going to group the verses in three different ways. We're going to first consider the church universal is a network of local churches. Then we're going to see that the church abounds in love and faithfulness. And then finally, we're going to see that the church is marked by suffering and purpose. My second point is going to be significantly longer than my other points. Okay, so as, you're going, as we're going through this, keep that in mind. So the church universal is a network of local churches. We see this in our text clearly today. The interactions between the local expression of the church and the church at large are everywhere. Verses 7 through 9, Paul says, Paul sends Tychicus and Onesimus to carry the letter to the church at Colossae and give them a report of Paul's gospel activities. They're supposed to encourage them. Colossae was an isolated church, but the universal church, through the apostle and through Tychicus and Onesimus, who walked thousands of miles to deliver a letter, finds themselves encouraged. The universal church encourages the local church. There is a relationship between the two. Throughout these verses, we also see that the universal church greets the local church, almost saying, we know you. We know you're there. We remember you. Verses 10 and 11, Aristarchus, Mark, 
Justice, greet you. Verse 12, Epaphras greets you. Verse 14, Luke and Demas greets you. Finally, verse 15, Paul himself greets the church. Why is this? Why are they greeting the church? Because the universal church seeks to encourage, encourage the local churches. You realize that we receive the Bible as the universal church has handed this down to us for our encouragement. Churches were not designed to function as islands. We are a network of churches who continuously shout to one another, take heart. Jesus is Lord. And this is why we often in our prayer meetings pray for other local churches. We love them and we want them to thrive and we want them to grow and we want them to be healthy. So we pray for First Baptist of Melbourne with Pastor Scott, that church that planted us and loves us. We pray for First Baptist of Indy Atlantic with Pastor Jonathan who is seeking to do ministry alongside us. We pray for Bow Gardens Baptist Church, which is right now without a pastor and looking for a pastor. So we pray that they would find a pastor who is faithful and is able to lead them. We don't see the other local churches as competitors. We see the other local churches as partners. We are, we are all trying to do the same thing. Turn idol worshipers into God worshipers. So when First Baptist is doing well and building a new temple and people are coming to them by the drones, we say, praise God, that's great. We hope that more people come to you. We, we hope that you find yourself out of room quickly. Praise God, right? We rejoice. We rejoice because the church universal the success of the church universal brings joy to the local church. It is also very clear how we can encourage the local churches in Ukraine today, isn't it? They need to be reminded that Jesus is Lord. No tyrant will ever exercise lordship over the church. They need to know that. And God will use our prayers to help them remember the church in Ukraine is acquainted with suffering. The church, is in the church in Ukraine is going underground. And they need our prayer. We need one another. We need other churches to remind us that Jesus is Lord. I think this passage also shows us that it is important to understand the, the church the bride of Christ, the universal congregation of believers does not exist apart from its local expression, the local church. The Bible has no category for believers who belong to the church universal and yet is not a part of the local church. In verse 15, Paul refers to the church in Laodicea, which probably met at the house of a woman called Nympha. We learn in verse 16 that the Laodiceans were receiving a letter from Paul himself. 
Now, we don't know what this letter is. We don't have that in our New Testament canon. But we see here that there is a local congregation receiving apostolic instruction, just like the church in Colossae did. But perhaps my favorite biblical argument for the local church in this passage are these words. Who is one of you? Did you hear that when I read the passage? It, twice we hear that. Onesimus in verse 9. Who is one of you? In verse 12. Epaphras. Who is one of you? What does this mean? It means that these two men identified themselves specifically with the church at Colossae. So here in the Bible, members of the universal church who belong to a specific expression of the local church. Do you see that? That is not said of everyone, even in this passage. But it is said of these two men. In the Bible, individual believers are often identified with local expressions of the church. And so we too should follow this pattern. We don't go around saying, today I'm a part of this church, next Sunday I'll be a part of that. No, we commit to a church and we remain committed to that church until the Lord moves us elsewhere. So, friends, although the words church membership do not appear in the Bible, the concept is clearly there. In a central Baptist, we emphasize church membership as a necessary aspect of every Christian's lives. It is necessary that every believer is able to say, along with Onesimus and Epaphras, I am one of you. This is the church that I fellowship, that I covenant with. Think of, the, think of this picture. You meet someone dressed up like a basketball player, holding a basketball, and you say to that person, hey, great to meet you. Do you play basketball? Oh, yes. I'm, as a matter of fact, I do. Oh, great. Who do you play with? Well, I'm glad you asked. I play for the NBA. Okay, that's impressive. Which team of the NBA do you play for? Oh, no, I don't play for a team. I have a hoop in my backyard, and I throw the ball through the hoop, and that's how I play for the NBA. You would say that's ridiculous, right? That doesn't make any sense. If you play for the NBA, you need to play for an NBA team. Does that make sense? Likewise, when we say we belong to the church universal, it doesn't make sense when we say, and yet we don't associate ourselves with a local expression of that church. So friends, church membership is necessary. Church membership is taught in the Bible. And it is one of the values that we emphasize at Central Baptist Church. If you want to know more about church membership here at Central Baptist Church, you should sign up for our next cohort of Starting Point, which will begin on April 24th, right after Easter. You can call the church office or you can speak to me and we'll tell you more about that. We just finished a cohort of 
20 new prospective members this morning who went through starting points. And the Lord is doing wonderful things in this group of people and also in our church. Come be a part of it. But also, the local church abounds in love and faithfulness. Paul, in these verses, uses the word beloved three times and the word faithful twice. The concept of love and faithfulness permeates this entire text. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew words hased and emeth are often coupled together. Love and faithfulness. They refer to God and His predisposition towards His people. God is a loving and faithful God. And by the way, those cannot be taken apart. Love without faithfulness is not love. Faithfulness without love is not faithfulness. But when those two come together, a wonderful environment transpires. Listen to how God describes himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding. Not just barely, but abounding with an overflow of steadfast love and faithfulness. And it is this overflow from God that permeates the church. It is not surprising that Paul sees the church filled with love and faithfulness. The church represents God on earth, and God abounds in love and faithfulness. So when we image God as a church, what must be perceived is love and faithfulness. How will the world know that God is loving and faithful? They will look at us. Through me and you and through our relationship with one another. By how we conduct ourselves towards each other. We'll see that God will, will display the love and the faithfulness of God to the world. The church is a place, right? So here's, here's four ways that, we're, that we can display uh, the love and faithfulness of God. The church is a place where love and faithfulness are displayed in fellowship. Verse 7, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful minister, and also Onesimus. Love and faithfulness is a complex, and they describe these men. They're with Paul. And they're giving of themselves so that the church can experience fellowship and unity. Faithfulness that is not motivated by love is not faithfulness. Love that is not motivated by faithfulness is not love. The church is a place where our relationships are so deep, we actually consider fellow believers closer to us than blood relatives. Did you hear that? Tychicus, our beloved brother. Onesimus, our 
brother. We call them brothers and sisters because they are to us spiritual, eternal brothers and sisters. Friends, I may or I may not spend eternity with my family in heaven. But I know one thing. I will spend eternity in heaven with you. You are my brother. You are my brothers. And you are my sisters. And I want to live my life with you. Do you need relationships that can be described as loving and faithful? Well, you need the church. The church is also a place where love and faithfulness are displayed in ministry. In verses 12 and 13, Paul says that Epaphras, who planted the church at Colossae, struggles on their behalf in prayer. He works hard, Paul says, not just for the Colossians, but also for the church in Laodicea and also the church in Hierapolis. Friends, I pray for you. I can honestly say that. Your deacons pray for you. Every Tuesday, Jeff and I get together to pray for you. Why? Because we desire the same thing as Epaphras desire for the church at Colossae in verse 12, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. The church is a place for service. The church is a place where we serve one another with the goal of presenting one another mature in Christ. So do you want your pastor to pray for you? Do you want your leaders to pray for you? You need to be a part of this church. You need to be a part of a faithful church where pastors and leaders do what they truly are called to do. Pray, teach, and serve. You need pastors and deacons and leaders praying for you. This is why you need the church. In verse 16, we see we meet a woman called Nympha. She was likely a wealthy Greek convert who had a large estate. And she opened her home so the church could gather. Now, I, I don't know if you usually have people in your home. When you decide to have somebody over to your home, right, it takes work, doesn't it? I mean, if you walk into my house, right, when I'm not expecting a guest, my house is going to look one way. If you walk into my house when I'm expecting a guest, my house is going to magically transform. Right? Am I the only one? No, right? Okay. My wife is wonderful, and she keeps our house in such great order. But you know what I'm saying, right? And here's a woman who week after week opened her house, opened her home, served the church. And we should learn from her. We, members of Central Baptist Church, should be acquainted with each other's homes. I've been to many of your homes, and my goal is to go to y'all's homes, everyone, not skip one, because, because I think that that's important, that, that our relationships won't be restrained to this building, but we'll live our lives outside of the not four walls, eight walls, right? You realize that? The church is also a place where love and faithfulness are displayed in comfort. In verses 10 and 11, Paul mentions three Jewish men, Aristarchus, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus, who is also called Justice. We know that they're ethnically Jews, 
because Paul says that they are of the circumcision. But we also know that they are believers in Christ. Because Paul tells us that they, these men have been a comfort to him. We're not sure how they are a comfort to Paul. Maybe Paul is finding comfort in knowing that fellow Jews also are coming to Christ. We see that Paul is tormented with that in Romans 9. But we don't know. But if you've suffered, surrounded by a healthy church, a loving and a faithful group of believers, you know what Paul is experiencing here, don't you? You know comfort. Perhaps one of the comforts that Paul experiences was the comfort of reconciliation with one of these three men. Mark, that he mentions in verse 10, is also Mark, the gospel of the, the author of the Gospel of Mark. And he's the same John Mark from Acts 15, a cousin of Barnabas, whom Barnabas wanted to take with, along with Paul and himself into the mission field. But Paul, but Paul opposed that. Because previously Mark had withdrawn from Paul in the ministry, likely to return to his mother's home in Jerusalem. A divide, sharp disagreement, Acts 15 says, arose between Paul and Barnabas. And they each went their own way. Friends, sometimes ministry is hard. Sometimes there are disagreements. Sometimes there are divisions. But true believers always pursue reconciliation. We see here that Paul says, when Mark comes to you, receive him. Clearly, Paul's opinion of Mark changed. We don't know the background of all of this. But the church, we need to learn this from Paul, the church is not a place where we cancel people. No, here we follow the words of our covenant, which states that we are to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation. The church is a place where grace abounds. Because the church is a place that reflects the God who abounds in love and faithfulness. Friends, the church is a place where a multitude of sins must be covered. If we truly love and if we're truly faithful. And why? Why don't we cancel other believers? when we have conflicts with them? Why do we, as long as it is up to us, pursue reconciliation? And the reason why the church lives out these realities is because we have been reconciled with God. Friends, we were a worlds apart from God. Our sins were stench before Him. We were to be pitied and condemned by God. That is the reality of all of us, whether we came to faith when we were four or when we were 40. Friends, we were not one with God from birth. We were conceived in sin. Folly was bound in our hearts. 
but God intervened. God came to us. We didn't come to him. He came to us in the person of his son. And he said, your sin is too grave. You should be eternally condemned. But my son will die in your place. And through his sacrifice, through the bridge that the cross creates, you can be reconciled with me. And all who trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and who come to him in faith and repentance are reconciled to God. Therefore, we extend reconciliation to all. Do you see that? Do you see how the gospel is the motivation for church unity? We come before God reminded, God, we should be judged, but we're not because you are good and you pursued us. Therefore, I will pursue others. So friends, it is our job to look for opportunities to promote reconciliation in our church. We recognize, right? We recognize that there are needs, that there is need for reconciliation to a certain degree among us. Although our church is wonderful and it is experiencing such a wonderful season of unity. We recognize that as well and we praise God for that. But we must always be ready to reconcile because God has reconciled us to himself. The church is also a place where love and faithfulness are displayed in truth. Verse 17, Paul says, And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, we don't know exactly what this ministry is, but we know that Paul is admonishing Archippus, isn't he? It is better to be admonished in the truth than to be left to idleness and unfaithfulness. The church must be marked by the truth even when the truth is hard to hear. The truth, when spoken in love and received in humility, produces growth. And our church must be a place where truth abounds. So, if you have a grievance with your brother... Go to your brother. Go work it out. Go figure it out. And know that reconciliation is possible. Because if God was able to reconcile you to him, everything else is possible. Now, I know that I just painted a beautiful picture of the church. And perhaps you are saying, Pastor Lucas, that is great. But this has not been my experience. I want to say three things here. One, these things are true of the church that I just said, but they're also becoming true of the church. The church is holy, but the church is also growing in holiness. We need to have a realistic expectation of a group of saints and sinners. That is us. Paul in Ephesians 5, 26 says that Jesus gave himself up for the church that he might sanctify her. Jesus is doing that right now. So when you're faced with sin, pride, false humility, apathy in the church, friends, that's the reality. We still struggle with these things. The church is not yet sinless, but we're growing. Remember also 
that these, these struggles are true of you and I as well. So as we come into the church, we're realistic about the people that we will interact with, but we also must be realistic of the sins that we are bringing ourselves. So when we come into a church, we don't come with pride, but humility. We say, join us as we overcome sin together and pursue holiness. The second thing I want to say is, if you have been hurt at a church, I'm really sorry you have. I believe you. I have honestly and earnestly prayed for you as I prepared this message. But the answer, if you've been hurt at a church experience, is not less involvement with the church, but more. The, the answer is to dive in. The answer is to lean into the body of Christ. But you need a church that is exuberant in health. A church where ministers, ministers, minister, pastors, shepherd, deacons, serve, members, love. A church whose membership is genuinely marked by love and faithfulness. And this leads me to the third statement that I want to make. Central Baptist Church is a church that is marked by love and faithfulness. We are experiencing such great unity and sweet ministry and a sweet ministry season at our church. We all know it. We've all experienced it. You know, last week on Tuesday, uh, last Sunday, we had a wonderful, sweet business meeting Sunday evening. Uh, we left that meeting loving one another more. And then on Tuesday, I went to my association, you know, where I live, uh, board meeting. And I said, oh, Lord, I miss my church. And I was reminded what a difference the Holy Spirit makes. What a difference the love that God imparts in us makes. Right? And friends, we are a church that is marked by this love and faithfulness. So if you are a believer and you're not committed to a church, can I encourage you to join us? Can I encourage you to, to consider membership at Central Baptist? Don't wander around like sheep without a shepherd, like sheep without a fold that is dangerous for your soul. Come live your Christian life with us and experience the blessing of belonging. The blessings of love and faithfulness. Finally, let's consider the church that is marked by suffering and purpose. So the history of the church is one of suffering. And yet, it is through suffering that the church often thrives. Tertullian, an early church father, famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more the church is persecuted, the more the church thrives. In verse 14, we meet two men, one faithful and one not so. Luke, the beloved physician, who was with Paul even when all deserted him. But we also meet demons. Paul doesn't say much about demons. He doesn't commend him. He doesn't call him beloved or faithful. He just says, he greets you. Perhaps because Paul knew that Demas was 
struggling. Edemus was loving the world more than Christ. Towards the end of Paul's ministries, ministries, shortly before he was killed for his faith, in 2 Timothy 4.10, he says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now imagine the heart of the apostle. Perhaps years of ministry and discipleship. And Demas chooses the world. Friends, sometimes our hearts are going to break in ministry. And perhaps nothing is more heartbreaking than to see one whom we counted as a brother or sister forsake the gospel. Some of you might be struggling with this today. A loved one has walked away from Christ. Perhaps a child, perhaps a parent, a brother, a sister, a close friend. Christian life is hard. And if you feel weary at times, that's normal. Tell it to the Lord in prayer. Christian life is supposed to be hard. We have not yet entered heaven. You will invest your lives in people, and they will sometimes walk away. But the Christian life is worth it. Don't give up. Weary saints, look to Christ. Keep praying. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep your eyes on Christ. And know that He is faithful. Perhaps the most striking statement on suffering is the letter, is the, is the, in this letter are the last words that Paul writes. Paul probably wrote this letter through an amanuensis, a secretary, someone who wrote down what he dictated. But in verse 18, he picks up the pen. And he says, I, Paul, write this greeting to you with my own hands. And what does he say? Remember my chains. It is an appeal of the persecuted church. Remember my chains. Paul is suffering for Christ, and he knows he needs the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the church. And yet, Paul is able to end the letter with the words, Grace be with you. Friends, we have a duty towards the persecuted church. We must pray for them. We must advocate for them. And we must be ready because for the church, a suffering is a gift. And it may come to us. Suffering for the believer does not come without purpose. Listen to what Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 1, 9, 129. For it, is, has, it, is, it has been granted, it's a gift, that's gift language, granted to you for the sake, uh, granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's the apostle preparing us, isn't he? Isn't this? We will suffer. Suffering is part of this life. We may suffer as a society. 
we may suffer as individual, individuals, it is assured that we will suffer. And when the suffering comes that challenges our faith, we should say, Lord, thank you, because this is a gift. This can only be said by faith. So one way that I wanted to apply this text to us today is we, we want to spend time praying for the church in Ukraine right now, today. And we'll do that tonight, okay? But as you walk out in the foyer, we've printed handouts that the IMB has made available for us that can guide us how to pray for the church in Ukraine today. Friends, can I challenge you? Okay, if you're going to spend five minutes doing anything other than prayer this week, you have five minutes to pray. Can I encourage you to take those handouts and pray for the church in Ukraine that has gone underground, the church that is suffering? I'm sure many of you have seen videos of the churches in homes, of the churches meeting in subways, of the churches of the church meeting scattered. They need your prayer. Your prayer will help them persevere. Your prayer will help them keep their eyes on Christ. Your prayers will help them walk with Christ to the end. So friends, I'm not inviting you to join a club or an earthly institution. I'm not inviting you to join a team of highly skilled individuals. That is not us. We're not the wealthiest. We're not the brightest. To the eyes of the world, we're foolish. And yet I'm inviting you to join us. But we belong to God. And the world may have everything. But if we have God, we lack nothing. We have the benefit of living under the supreme king of the universe. He is our king. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. And no one outside of the church can say those things. Friends, eternal life is only found in Him. I'm inviting you to be a part of something greater than yourself, the church. The only institution that will be with God for eternity. So, do you want to know eternal life? Do you want to know purpose? Then listen to the message of Paul to the Colossians and submit yourself to the supremacy of Christ today. Would you pray with me? Father, how we long to see the church redeemed before Christ. Lord, we look forward to that day in which nations and tribes and tongues will come before the throne of God and of the Lamb and will bless His name. Lord, give us a vision for the scatological church that will be with you forever. We need to be a part of this. No other institution could rival the glory of the church because the church is in Christ. Father, we pray, bless Central Baptist. May we know the faithfulness and love of our God. May we display it as well. We intercede for the persecuted church today, specifically in Ukraine. Be with them. Be their shelter, their guide. 
be their encouragement, protect them, deliver their bodies, but ultimately, Lord, deliver their souls from the works of the devil. And Father, we pray that your peace would rule over our hearts as we submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, this guy wanted my information, and he was being smart about it. He was being persuasive. He was being pleasant, right? For, for what? For money, right? How much greater is our interest when on the other end is not money but souls, right? It, it's the salvation of a lost soul. So our speech must be flavorful. Our speech must be seasoned with salt. Our, our, our speech must be one that people should say, I enjoy talking to this person. Let me hear more. It is true that the gospel is an insulting message. It confronts sinners with their sin, but we can't be insulting ourselves. We are, as Martin Luther would say, beggars who tell other beggars where to find bread. A speech that is seasoned with salt is a speech that is humble because we understand the grace, that grace is a gift and we are, and we are in need of it ourselves. But a speech that is seasoned with salt is also a speech that is winsome because we represent a God who is winsome himself. There's nothing more winsome than God. So friends, Jesus tells us, you are the salt of the earth. But if your salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So do you see the parallel here? We shine the light of Christ with our speech as we seek to draw people into the gospel by being humble and winsome. You know, this past Monday we had our first FIT outreach, and uh, we may have overstayed ourselves, but the reason why we did that, you know, our dinner started at 6, and we're supposed to be done at 7. We weren't out of there until like 8.30. Um, the reason why we did that is because we wanted to be seasoned with salt in our speech. And we're engaging with the students. And, and they were saying, well, there's something here that we want to talk about. Though for some reason, I want to, I'm drawn to this person. That's, that's what we want to do. We want our speech to work that way. Why? So that we can share the gospel. So that we can win lost souls. We have a mission to accomplish. So we walk with wisdom towards outsiders. One of our church's value is a mission-minded ministry. We look for the lost and we go after them. Our glory days are not behind us. Our glory days are ahead as we walk towards heaven. And we do so by bringing into the fold more and more God worshipers. So why must we have a mission-minded ministry? Because Jesus gave us a mission and we're committed 
to fulfilling his mission. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would give us boldness, both in how we approach your throne of grace in prayer and how we approach the outside world. Lord, may we know that we are accepted in Christ. Therefore, we have confidence coming before you in prayer. And we have confidence proclaiming the good news of your gospel to a lost world. Father, where our desires are wrong, change us. Where fear controls, Lord, give us faith. Father, may we accomplish the mission that is ever before us. Lord, we pray these things knowing that you empower us for every good work before us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.